Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. In a time of unprecedented political, personal, and ecclesiastical shaking, what unique purposes might God have for God's own people? This episode is a sermon that Jonathan preached at Cascade Church in Portland, Oregon. Enjoy. I want to bring a message this morning that, um, and I was going to go in a different direction until, I don't know, a couple hours ago as I'm prone to do these days. So what I am going to share um, is a word that's kind of been stirring in me since last fall, um, I felt like when I first started to see some of this, hear some of this, I feel like I experienced it as, I would say a prophetic word, but I felt the need to put that in quotation marks because I just think you should. I mean, I don't, I don't trust my own discernment in that way. It struck me as being a prophetic word, and even the timing of it was really interesting. And uh, Nobody needs to get anxious that I'm going in a hyper-political direction, but this was actually about a week before the election. When I was reading the lectionary text, as I'm prone to do, generally follow the, the lectionary readings, and there was this text from Haggai that just spoke to me. And it's interesting how in this whole season, I feel like the further the away I get from it, the more it makes sense and the more it comes to life in different ways. And just kind of feels like the word on my heart just in this season that just keeps getting reinvented and stirred around all kinds of different ways. And I was going to talk about it. I want to talk about something else, but somehow it really felt like what I need to do uh, today for whatever that's worth. So... In just a moment, we're going to go to Haggai. Any Haggai fans here? Always a popular Old Testament book. One of the shortest of the Minor Prophets. You can read the whole thing in about 10 minutes. Haggai is a book uh, that's written during the time. This is basically the end of Babylonian exile. So the Israelites have been captive to the Babylonians for about 70 years. The Babylonians are captured by the Persians. And initially, there's this wave of optimism in Israel that the Persians are going to be gentler with them than the Babylonians were. So even though if it's still a kind of captivity, they think that things are going to get better. And Haggai's written about the time that this first handful of exiles who had come from Jerusalem to Babylon are now being able to return to their homeland for the first time. And there's this surge of optimism because, of course, coming back to Jerusalem means they get to come back not only to their homeland, but they get to come back to the temple, which is so much the center of their identity as a people, ethnically, religiously, in every way. Like, it's just, it's the center of existence. And initially, they're coming back to their homeland with this great optimism that we're going to rebuild the temple and somehow be able to recapture the the glory days of what God has done before. As it turns out, very soon into this journey where the, that starts with profound encouragement, discouragement comes relatively quickly. Um, for one, uh, it's been so long now. It's been 70 years. So there's almost no one still alive um, coming out now of Babylon who even remembers what the temple was like. They've heard stories, but they don't really know what it's like. And beyond that, they come now into this space that for them once was a sacred space, now to find it in ruins now this, this sort of haunted landscape that uh, really doesn't retain anything of the character of those stories that they heard about the temple in its glory days. So with all that in view, let's go to the, uh, to the text. Um, in the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. So then going into chapter 2. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, 
and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And I want to read on, but I'll just say real quickly, that's a text that I think is deeply resonant for those of us who know what it's like to have sacred spaces in our own lives, that once we're consecrated, that once there was a sense of holiness to this place, uh, it could be a house, it could be a church, but when something really devastating happens and that place that once was a source of great comfort, now you just don't see it the same way, you don't feel it the same way. Uh, The place that once was a source of glory now being in ruins, I think some of us really know what that's like. And I think even on a on a broader level culturally right now, um, there's this weird thing of like a, a, a yearning and a wanting to go back to things that, a, a time that maybe we thought was more innocent, which of course all that's very loaded because I don't know, I always, uh, I always think it's funny when people talk about you know, the glory days in America, because of course what were glory days were some were not glory days for others. You know, people want to go back to like Donna Reed and nobody cussed on television. Oh yeah, but then there was then there was all this racial thing, right? I mean, people are very funny about these things, but I, I do understand the, the kind of nostalgia to want to go back. And even for things within our own immediate histories uh, in the past that were really wonderful, that, that just this yearning to kind of go back, back to these places that really don't exist anymore, whether or not they ever really existed in the way that we built them up in our minds, they're just not there in the way that, that we hoped that they would be. So moving on, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came up out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And this is where I want to really focus your attention. In a little while, once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. This prophecy, this word to the people of God, is that there's going to be a shaking that will come to all the nations. It will not just be a shaking for Israel. It will not just be a shaking for people that are far outside. Everybody is going to endure the same shaking. Everybody will feel it. All the nations are going to experience this shaking. And yet the word is that there's a really particular purpose that God has in the shaking for his own people that there is a treasure, that there is silver and gold that has been invested in the people of God that needs to get out, that needs to get into the nations. But there's no way that this treasure will come up out of Israel unless the nations first are shaken, which is such an interesting word for me. Uh, Because for one, I don't know, like whatever treasure God has invested in me, I would really prefer that that be able to come to bear in some way that doesn't require being shaken out. Or maybe the idea that God is going to shake the other guys and kind of leave me be, which is never how it works, right? Never how it works. There is a particular treasure that God wants to bring out of his people, but it only happened in the shaking that will take place for all the nations. That's just so interesting to me. Not, and I think this is important to qualify, not that God wants to bring a treasure out of Israel 
and he doesn't care about the other nations. I don't have time, to, uh, have time to do a whole lecture on this right now, but this for me is just a great misreading often of how people understand Israel, how they understand the Jewish people in the Old Testament, is that there's this idea that, like, you know, that they're somehow God's special, consecrated, set-apart pet in a way that nobody else is. What you have to keep in mind, of course, is that from the very beginning when God made a covenant with Abraham, he said, I will make you great, I will make your name great, I will give you a great nation, I'll give you this great family, so that through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Ultimately, anything God was going to do that was going to be good for Israel was always for the sake of the nations, ultimately. It was always not just about them, you know. Uh, I just think that's important to say because I, what I, what I want to frame this in such a way to where I, what I, it doesn't read like I'm saying, see, God does terrible things to the people all around us so that he can bring really good things out of the church, <laughs> which is kind of awful. And I don't know what your theology is around here. I'm a guest speaker. Nobody cares. And Pastor Kirk can seriously um, correct anything that needs to be corrected. I, I generally don't think in terms of a God who prescripts people's traumas and tragedies and like there were pieces on a shit. I don't believe in any of that. And yet what I do believe is that it's almost God's job description to bring beauty out of chaos. It's just what God does. And even if God does it somehow formulaically script everything that hurts, there is this interesting way that the Spirit has, I think, of leveraging pain, of leveraging trauma, of leveraging suffering to somehow bring something that's redemptive and beautiful, even and perhaps especially in the midst of the shaking. But again, this is kind of good and bad news. I, think, I want to frame it this way, and then I want to move on to one more text in just a minute. I'm going to do kind of a lot of Bible stuff today, if that's all right. I just think it's important for us to, to kind of grasp this, that again, this is shaking that comes to all the nations. And I think that... That, that more and more becomes how I understand my own like faith story is that the shaking that comes is a shaking that comes to us all. Bit of a disappointment for me because I just realized I haven't shared a lot of my background. Um, I always you know, self-identify as a hillbilly Pentecostal because I grew up in like sawdust kinds of tent revivals. So if you hear any of that coming out, you know, you never know. I might just start speaking tongues and run around the church. I don't know. If it feels right, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's not really true. Handle some snakes, whatever. Y'all do that in Portland. It's, it's supposed to be weird here, right? So like, <laughs> that'll be my contribution to keep Portland weird. It'll be bring snake handling into the church. <laughs> Let's, that's my way of making America great again. Um, anyway. Oh, I totally forgot what I was to say. Oh, yes. So uh, in my tradition, right? I mean, one of the things that you kind of brush up against, especially kind of, charismatic side of the tradition was this idea, you know, that like, if you follow Jesus, that everything in your life is going to turn out awesome. So long as you pay your tithes, you are less likely to get cancer. So long as you're obedient, you're less likely to have a car accident, which sounds almost silly for me to say it right now, but there was a time in my life when I absolutely labored under those kinds of superstitions. And it was actually quite jarring for me to discover that being a follower of Jesus does it lower your percentage of chance to get cancer or to be in a car accident at all? Does it mean that you're less likely to have a failed relationship? Life happens to you the same way that happens to everybody else. And there's no promise in a life of following Jesus that things are going to be stable and secure. What there is a promise of, what there is a hope for, is that there can, there can be a particular purposes of God 
that can be discerned in the shaking, but you're not exempt from the shaking. You're not going to feel it any less than anybody else. Just because you pray or you read or you fast or you study, you still experience the same kinds of fundamental shaking. And I think we're in a time right now in particular where um, if, and there's very little consensus on anything these days, right? But I would think that there would probably be a consensus here that we are in a, ta- in a time of just considerable shaking in every direction. Political systems are shaking. Ecclesial systems are shaking. Like, like all foundations, everything, that institutional kinds of identities. And then you throw in this whole, all the new realities of technology and social media where we're constantly rewiring our brains and literally we don't know what we're doing to ourselves or to our kids because all of it's still so new. I mean, we're, we're, everything's changing so rapidly right now. Everything's shaking. So with all that in view, I want to fast forward a couple thousand years uh, to the book of Acts. Maybe not a couple thousand years, actually, but uh, far, far to the right in your Bibles, to the book of Acts. And this is a story that uh, this is going to feel like a right turn. I mean, I, I just never thought much about. I enjoyed it when I was in Sunday school, but it, for whatever the reason, seemed to me to be like a Sunday school story. It just wasn't something as an adult until I, all this kind of illuminated for me back last fall. I had never talked about this text in a sermon. But this is the passage where uh, Paul and Silas have been going around and they've been preaching the gospel. They get in trouble for this. Specifically what happens, if you need a little context, is that there is this uh, woman who's been following Paul around. And wherever they go, she shouts with a loud voice, These men are servants of the Most High God. And she says that over and over again. These men are servants of the Most High God. As it turns out, apparently she's possessed by some kind of an evil spirit. And uh, she also has a gift because of this demonic manifestation to be able to foretell people's futures, which apparently brings money into the town where they are. So Paul gets frustrated with the girl, turns around, casts the spirit out of her. This is really not part of the sermon. This is kind of like, this is just a bonus for y'all that one of the things I really love about this text is that, you know, that she's saying under the influence of this evil spirit, these men are servants of the Most High God, which I always think when I read that, what's wrong with that sentence? Nothing. They are servants of the Most High God, which should tell you something significant, which is that the wrong spirit can say the right thing, which is worth noting. The wrong spirit can quote Bible, chapter and verse. There is nothing, te- there's nothing doctrinally wrong with what she's saying. But the spirit in which it's being said is used to be a distraction. Wrong spirit can say the right thing. That's why I think that you know, such times call for unusual discernment. Because you can't just discern what's being said. You have to discern the spirit underneath what's being said. What's the intention? What's the heart? What's the purpose here? So again, that's just bonus content. But they get in trouble for this because Paul casts the spirit out of the girl. And people in town, of course, are upset because it means it's going to affect their livelihood. Everybody's fine. with you preaching the gospel, so long as you don't mess with their money or their wars. But that's another sermon for another time. I'm just saying. Going to the text, Acts 16, beginning verse 20. I feel so rambunctious today. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, 
He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And here's the verse I really want you to be attentive to here. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. As a Pentecostal, I feel very comfortable like spiritualizing a text, as the early church fathers did, for that matter. But I love this phrase, such a violent earth shake, earthquake, rather, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And I thought about when I read this at the time and thinking about Haggai, how much it really does feel like, again, this is a time where foundations are being shaken. And that there is a shaking that comes that, again, is so profound that everything is shaking. When everything is shaking, you don't get to be discriminate about, you know, what is going to, what, what's going to quiver, what's going to quake, and what's not. Some things might be falling, some things might be crumbling, some things might be shaken that we think ought to be shaken. And we look, you know, you, know, you might look at it and say, well, I think that, that yeah, that, you know, the church needed that shakeup. Uh, this political party needed this shakeup. They needed that. Some things are being shaken that some of us think ought to be shaken. But there's other things that are being shaken that we don't think should be shaken. And there are pictures that were sacred to us on the wall that are flying off now. Like, you know, indiscriminate, everything is shaking, everybody's shaking, the foundations themselves are shaking. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Let's read on just a little bit more, then we'll talk about it. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And I'll stop right there. It's a beautiful story. But part of what's so intriguing to me about this is that Paul and Silas now who are imprisoned are locked up inside a small cell, which keep in mind, Paul is the person who's the ambassador of the gospel to the Gentiles. So we might say in a sense, the gospel seems to be under lock and key here. The gospel has been locked up in a small confining space where Paul and Barnabas are jailed. And the way that God chooses to deliver them is through an earthquake. I'm fascinated by this because I've got to think, you know, if I'm Paul and Silas, awesome that they're singing worship songs at, at midnight. But I'm thinking if you've already been imprisoned, and as we saw in the text, if you've been severely beaten and flogged all day, that probably your first thought when you're just coming out of a terrible be a beating and you're chained into a small cell, that your first thought when the ground is shaking is not, oh boy, Jesus has come to rescue me. <laughs> like I'm thinking my first thought in this scenario is, Really, Lord? Like, really? You know, like Seth Meyers thing on Saturday Live, like that, really? Like, it's kind of like, ha haven't we done, haven't we had enough today? <laughs> Was it the flogging and the beating and the imprisonment enough before now the, the you know, the walls are going to come down on my head? Has it this been plenty? Uh, so, I, you know, I don't think the first reaction necessarily is that this one that feels like redemptive. And yet, it's the shaking that comes that actually shakes Paul and Silas loose. It's actually what loosens the chains. It's actually what causes the, the gospel message 
the treasure that's locked into this small space to be shaken out through this earthquake. Now, this is going to sound real preachy to y'all, and I wish I could say it like T.D. Jakes, but I don't quite have that gear, you know. I mean, he, he didn't say it first. I'm saying it just seems like something the bishop could say that I wouldn't know how to say. I'd try to find it. But the way it hit me at the time is this notion that, you know, what really is an earthquake for everybody turns out to be a jailbreak for Paul and Silas, which for me is just extraordinary. It's an earthquake for everybody, no, no question about that. But for Paul and Silas, for the people of God, this is something that actually loosens them. This is something that actually sets them free. Everybody else is freaking out. And Paul and Silas are feeling the shaking just like, they're not immune to the shaking, but there's a distinct purpose of God within that shaking that actually, that actually loosens them and sets them free. It's got me wondering these days if some of the shaking that's happening within us, even within the body of Christ, even within North America, if there might not be a particular purpose of God in that, that somehow that there might be something in the shaking that shakes us loose that shakes a people who have been complacent, that shakes a people who have often been confined and constricted, that actually in some weird way is exactly what gets us out of that small space that we've been in into something larger, into something broader, into, into something more beautiful, into something redemptive. And yet part of the tension in the text here, which I find fascinating, is that while for Paul and Silas the earthquake is a jailbreak and therefore good news for them, for the jailer, this isn't good news at all. He's a Roman centurion who's been charged with his life not to let Paul and Silas go. And so his first thought when the earthquake comes and he realizes the implications and he knows that everything has been shaken loose, he's, he has such despair about this that he's at the point of being ready to take his own life. Well, for Paul and Silas are cut loose and here's this guy getting ready to kill himself because he just assumes, he knows he can't come back to his commander and say, oh, well, you know, it was an earthquake, what are you going to do? I mean, his life's on the line. So he, he's at this point of like utter, complete despair, which for me is just such a fascinating and textured picture of part of what I think it means right now to be the people of God within the shaking, is that we can experience the shaking, we can be disillusioned, we can, uh, we can feel uneasy, we can feel uncertain, we can feel all these kinds of emotions. And yet, our own faith does give us a different perspective in all that. Because there is a way that we have an anchor in all this. There is a way that we have hope. But many of the people who are experiencing the same shaking alongside of us don't share the same hope that we have. And there is no optimistic way of looking at this. And there is no sense of, well, Jesus is coming to deliver. Actually, there's this sense of utter despair that things are out of control, that things are, are, just, are now just going to inexplicably just keep getting worse. There's just this sense of things being out of control and that despair of what's the point, why try, who cares, what does it matter? Things feel so meaningless. And I think we have to be attentive as the people of God that while it's important for us to, to be encouraged and to comfort ourselves with the hope of Christ, not to forget what it's like, to experience profound shaking and not have that same perspective of hope. The thing that I think is most beautiful about this is that as the jailer now is at this place ready to kill himself because he's so freaked out because he assumes it's, you know, it's, it's all over for him. The words that Paul says to him for me right now just feel so specifically. Paul calls out 
from across the prison and he says, we are still here. We're still here. It's interesting for me, especially growing up in a context where, again, I'm not trying to mess with anybody's theology because I don't know where all of you are, but growing up in an environment where end times was very important and the way I essentially understood the Lord's Prayer was, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, beam me up, Scotty. Like, I didn't really get that that kingdom come, that would be. I was like, nope, nope, just get us out here. Snatch us up. Just everything. And when, and when things got really awful in the world, then people whose names probably most of you won't know, uh, but like people like Jack Van Impey are on, are on TV, and they're very excited, like, oh, isn't this great news? <laughs> Terrible things are happening. Jesus is coming. <laughs> Thousands of people have been slaughtered in the Middle East. Oh, the Lord is coming. That is super good news. Because the, the, the emphasis in that story was that when things get bad, God is going to somehow miraculously deliver us up out of that. And we see in many circles within the church a kind of escapism from the suffering that happens in the world. What I love here, though, is that Paul and Silas, while they do still have their hope, they're still tethered, they're still anchored in the midst of the shaking, that their response to this person who's in great despair from that same shaking is to say, we are still here. We're not going anywhere. We're not looking to get out. Not even just the shaking that's happening in this kind of broad, natural, national, cultural way, but I'm thinking about even the presence of this church within this particular local community, what it looks like to be the voice that says, we are still here. We're not going anywhere. Whatever you experience, we're coming alongside you. Whatever the shaking brings for you, we're not taking off. We're not looking for the, you know, we're not looking for the next ship out. We're still here. We're close. We're not going anywhere. There's something for me about that that's so, that's so profound and so moving. We're still here. And I'm wondering right now what it looks like for that to be the voice of the body of Christ, the world, that, 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 that voice that steadies, that says, we're not going anywhere. And whatever trials, whatever tribulations, whatever things unfold, whatever kind of pain is experienced among people within our communities who are somehow other than us, we're not abandoning anybody. We're not leaving anybody behind. We're, We're here. We're alongside you. This is where God has called us to be. That for me is just such a, it's just such a beautiful message. Can we go back to the text just one more time? I promise I'm landing the plane, I think. Um, the way that all of this ends, ends in a place where then the, the jailer and his whole house come to faith. One thing I saw from this text a few weeks ago that I never saw before, kind of adding this as a footnote at this point, is I love that part of what happens in all this is that not only is Paul, this representative of the people of God, able to speak great hope into the life of the jailer, but I love that when they leave the prison, that Paul and Barnabas go to the jailer's house and he actually binds their wounds. <laughs> Something really significant to me about that, that Paul and Silas have not just been called to redeem. Paul and Silas have not just been called to evangelize. They haven't just been called to proclaim the gospel. That God now has also raised up even their jailer, this person they would have thought of as being an enemy, to actually tend to their wounds, to actually care for them. I'm so struck by the vulnerability of that. That there's a, a particular thing that God might want to do in us through the shaking in the world. And yet there are particular things that God might be wanting to, 
that we need the world to, to do to us, that we need, the, does that make sense at all? I'm really, I'm really freestyling right here, that like it's not just a matter of, you know, us being filled with the Spirit and going out of me, but being open and vulnerable too, <laughs> to how God will, will use the stranger, how God will use the person that's other than us somehow to, to tend to our own wounds. That's part of how healing comes. That's part of how transformation comes. This is a big, broad message, and I really do need to stop. I'm done. I just... I don't know where all this needs to land. Uh, my sense is, and I don't know exactly what this means, I'm not trying to be spooky about it, but I do think oftentimes that when there's great upheaval culturally, it's not uncommon that these times are, I don't know, when it feels like everything else is shaking, that this becomes very personal for us. And that is my sense even this morning. Is that for some of you, this isn't just like, you know, like, oh, yeah, this is very interesting, like the, like the philosophy of... <laughs> What's of the shaking? Like there's this very real, very urgent, really immediate things in your own life that are shaking right now. And you don't know what it means and you don't know where it's going and certainly don't know what God's doing in the midst of all that. I would want to give the disclaimer one more time that I am not saying that God's spirit is necessarily authoring all of that. And yet I know that even in the hurricane or the tornado that there is often something of the wind of the spirit that comes in, in the middle of the chaos that wants to come and bring something new. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, even right now, through the things that are shaking, I'm wondering in what ways the treasure of God's spirit has been locked up inside of you that just maybe wouldn't have expression any other way unless there was a violent shaking that came. That there was, you know, I don't know. It's weird how that works sometimes, the way that God can invest such beautiful things inside of us, such calling and uh, dreams, visions, these things that we just feel so called to do. But, you know, you don't just, the way that life works when you're comfortable, you don't just wake up one day and decide to do those things. That it's often only when you feel like your hand is forced and you're out of options that somehow that there's opportunity now for spirit to stir something up in all that brokenness and that maybe somehow leverage that to, to just break something loose. Would you pray with me? Stand with me if you don't mind. God, I thank you that I thank you for the gift of chaos because we know that where there is not chaos, there is never going to be new creation life. And we do not want to shake. We do not want to feel untethered. We do not want to feel like we don't know where we are or where we're going goes against everything in us. And yet, Lord, I pray this morning you would grant us the eyes to be able to see a different kind of discernment, a different kind of openness, Lord, to what you may really be doing in the shaking. Things right now that, are, that are, we only experience as violence, things right now that only experience as a kind of trauma and pain. And yet, Lord, if you give us the eyes of grace to see this this morning, how is it that maybe even in the midst of those things, there are some, some beautiful treasures that you've locked up in us that just won't come out any other way unless they are shaken loose. So I pray, God, in the midst of the shaking that you would give us the gift to not hold on too tightly, Lord. Not to hold on too tightly to our own ideas about the way the world is supposed to work. Not to cling too tightly to our own ideas about the way the church is supposed to look or the way that church growth is supposed to happen or the way that even emotionally, Lord, all these expectations we bring about what our lives, how, they, how it should be ordered. Help us to let go of that, Lord, and experience the grace that's happening in what really is. 
experience the freedom and the liberation that happens in that. And I would just want to pray specifically for any sons and daughters who are here who are experiencing the, the shaking right now in a way that's especially troubling. I just pray God's peace over you right now. And the same way that Jesus breathed the, the Holy Spirit over his disciples, that even this morning, God would just breathe his spirit into you and that you would breathe in life and peace and comfort, that you would know that he is with you. Even as this morning talking about the message of, you know, of the people of God to the world, that we're still here. Just feel like some of you need to hear right now that the Lord would say to you, I am still here. I've not gone anywhere. I will not leave you. I will not forsaken you. That what has felt like such loss and, and um, senses just all over the map and gauges spinning, he is still here. He is with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question and answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of Side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.